Welcome to Radio Physics, a collaboration with the Aspen Center for Physics, KDNK Community Radio in Carbondale, and advanced physics students from Roaring Fork Valley High Schools. The students spend a week working at the center during the summer and get to talk one-on-one -on -one to some of the distinguished physicists who are here. I'm Patty Fox, and I'm hosting today's program, which was recorded during the teen summer program at the Aspen Center for Physics. Emma Day is a rising senior from Basalt High School, and Megan Quinn is a rising senior from Glenwood Springs High School. They will be interviewing Sayantani Ghosh. Sayantani is an associate professor at the University of California, Merced. She received her BA from the University of Cambridge and her PhD from the University of Chicago. Professor Ghosh's research interests cover both traditional topics and emerging multidisciplinary themes in condensed matter physics. Her group focuses on the physics of new materials and using ultrafast optoelectronic techniques develops methods and protocols to manipulate their properties for application in energy storage and information processing devices. In addition, Professor Ghosh is also the founding faculty and advisor of UC Merced Women in Science and Engineering. And because we have two women interviewing Sai today, we're going to start there with Women in Science. And Emma, would you like to begin? In your lifetime, how like have you seen any changes in the equality of women in science? Um, that's a really interesting question. In my lifetime, which has been a long lifetime, I probably, <laughs> but you know, we did not start collecting data properly till about a decade ago. And I sort of, it's an interesting statistics that of all the PhDs in physics, twenty percent are by women. And this number has not changed since 2007. So in your lifetimes, there hasn't been a big change in the proportion of women who are working in physics in particular. Um, so that's kind of, you know, you know, in a sense, there are more women, but there are also more men. And we have not been able to you know, consistently ratchet up this number. On that note, what do you hope to see for the future of women in science? Is there any changes that you think need to be made? That's a, that's a vast scope, yeah. I think uh, I would, and again, as, as you know, being part of women in science at UC Merced and just being a woman in physics, which is traditionally women are very underrepresented, um, what has come through research, what has come to the fore is that the number of women enrolling in physics in high school, like you guys have, and you can probably give some information on this as well, there aren't that many women doing AP physics at the high school level. However, the ones who are, they do persist and often get a PhD. So we don't have a leaky pipeline, uh, unlike many other STEM fields. Um, what we have is women complete the PhDs and then they don't pursue a career in physics. And that has been attributed to environmental, societal reasons. They don't get enough support in the field. It's the field, the professional field is still heavily male dominated. So yeah, we need changes, uh, but it's not at, it's either we try to have more students enroll at the high school level. We need to incentivize that, make it better for them, make it more interesting, highlight the fun part of physics, show them more you know, female role models. 
and we try to change the workplace environment. So yeah, a lot of work needs to be done. Um, as a woman in physics, have you faced any struggles on your path to where you are now? Um, I don't think I have faced struggles. I, um, you know, I started, I never thought I would pursue physics when I was growing up. Um, as a as a person who was interested in science, I was told by my traditional family that I should be a doctor. I was a girl, so I couldn't be an engineer. Uh, medicine was the other field, so I should focus on biology, which I did. I tried very hard. Um, in middle school, I realized that physics was most fun for me, and I didn't realize why. And, you know, there was no easy way to sort of gauge that. When I was in high school, I realized that physics was fun because it didn't require me to memorize things like biology did. <laughs> um, and physics could, you know, explain the things that were happening around us. And I did not have to cut up frogs to understand physics. And if I understood the logic behind something, that was it. I didn't have to go back and relearn it or recall anything. And that's why it was fun. So I decided I would you know, not pursue med school as heavily as was being suggested, but try to stay into this, this physics thing and see how it worked out. Um, so it has worked out, but maybe it would have been, I could have used more support when I was growing up that this is a field that in itself is very rich and very nice to work in. And it's not a byproduct of something you do on the way. Yes, one of the biggest struggles is not like an actual struggle, but the fact that males get support in this field, but you had to be completely self-driven because there's no one really pushing you like a lot of males do have. They weren't. It wasn't a struggle, but you had to be completely self-motivated and driven to get there. So what in initially sparked your interest towards condensed matter physics? Ah, uh, that is... Um that I actually, I can pinpoint the exact you know, region or time when that happened. When I was an undergrad, that's the first time I took quantum mechanics, quantum physics. And have you guys taken quantum physics yet? Okay, so it's, it's the, the realm of physics that happens when the length scales and become very, very, very small. Um, you know, that's the, the Schrodinger's cat thing. We put a cat in a box, it is dead and alive. The superposition, entanglement. So when I first took this class, I thought, this is just math. Obviously, this you never see this in real life. And then I, you know, someone told me, and I read books, that condensed matter physics deals with materials. Part of that deals with materials at the nanoscale where quantum physics can actually be observed. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to do that. All this, you know, crazy stuff, you can actually observe it. It plays a role. So that was my field. And that's how I stayed in condensed matter physics. Are you working any on anything right now that would be interesting to talk about? Um, to me, yes. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, I work on, right now I am working, I'm pursuing my work in you know, nanomaterials. What I have been doing for the past few years is, uh, so you can make any object can be broken down to the nanoscale. For example, I give, this is my, how I introduce the field is, if you look at gold, it shines yellow, right? If you actually make a gold crystal that is, say, 10 or 20 atoms big, and that's it, it actually looks a completely different color. 
So on the nanoscale, materials behave absolutely differently from their bulk counterparts. So think of these nanoscale blocks and materials then like Lego blocks. So I could take a gold nanoparticle, uh, say iron nanoparticle, put them together like Lego blocks and make a completely new material. So these are like artificial atoms and you can make new artificial materials with it. So that's what I'm pursuing. It's just trying to come up with multifunctional materials that will do things that are naturally occurring materials don't. For example, maybe you make a, a piece of jewelry that can also be a laser, at, if you want it to be so, something. <laughs> <laughs> so on the note of new materials, I heard that you also work with like materials that have cooperative energy transfers. And is there anything that you've seen or progress that could potentially aid in the like preservation or reconstruction of like just humanity or the planet or like any materials that you find helpful? Um, yes, one of the fields, and this research really took off about four years ago. Um, on my campus at UC Merced, we got a big grant from NASA. Um, and so NASA's reason for giving or collaborating with universities is sort of twofold because obviously NASA can drive its own research. It has excellent researchers, amazing facilities. What they, the research they want to be done at the university level is some fundamental science that they can't, some exploratory stuff that they don't have time to look at. So they kind of want us to look at, you know, think outside the box, try out a few things, and they, then if it works out, they can have their engineers work on that. The second thing they want is to encourage women and other underrepresented groups into completing PhDs and so that they can go work at NASA. They're very clear on that. They want a pipeline bill so you know students can go work there. Um, so with this purpose, the research they wanted us to do was using nanomaterials for energy and sensing purposes. For when, when you send up a space shuttle, the biggest issue is weight. Apparently one pound of weight converts to $100,000. So if you could lighten anything, you know, fuel, um, energy, solar cells, any, any of those things, that would be amazing for them. So that's the research that we are working on, is using nanomaterials to make photovoltaic devices, solar cells, that can be lightweight, flexible, maybe even can be um, synthesized on site like on the moon, when we started, Mars was the big thing. Now NASA has swerved back to the moon. But either way, imagine an astronaut. You are in your little tent on the moon, and you can prepare your solar cell there. You don't have to carry it up there. So some way of making it, like, you know, printing it or spraying it and producing that. So that's what we are trying to do, lightweight devices. And the other thing they really care about is astronaut health because they want diagnostics or biosensors that can be tiny and can work quickly and be lightweight and inexpensive. So those are the two things which, and both all of this, if it works out, will benefit even you know, terrestrial applications. It'll work on Earth first before it works on the moon. So yeah, that's kind of what we are hoping for. Can your work with nanomaterials and making new materials, like can those new materials be used eventually by people in their own homes? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The, the, so the new materials like the photovoltaic. So one of the things that we're trying to make are, you know, um, 
photovoltaics that are not, when you think of solar cells, you think you look at silicon, you think of these big blue panels that go up on the roofs right now. They are heavy, they you know need to be cleaned, they have all these other issues. You can't just go to a, to a place, buy them and install them yourself. What we want is to make solar cells that can be rolled up like you know, a piece of paper, you can carry it with you, you can lay it out on the field here when you're having a picnic and use that to you know power things. You can install it on your windows, like a window cling film. So all of this is we are trying to make things that will make, at least from the solar cell or renewable energy perspective, much more user-friendly. So we can really go into clean energy in a big way. It's really interesting to see how physics can cross over into like new energy that is something that like we are really looking for in the future as well as like all of the crossing into different fields and engineering so is there any like could you call yourself an engineer in any sort of a way <laughs> i could i don't think the engineers will want me to <laughs> but you know it's a it, this is this is a, a good point that you've picked up on because when i was doing my phd my research was just physics it was very things the boundaries were very clear I find my graduate students now, the way their preparation needs to be, the, because the world has changed so much, they need to learn a lot more chemistry at the graduate level, not just learn like take a class. They need to be able to do it hands-on. So I have graduate students who are often co-advised by another faculty member in engineering. For example, the ones who want to work on solar energy, I make them work with an engineering faculty because if you want to go out and change the world, you should have had built your own device, not just mm-hmm. thought about the physics of it. So it is a different. I think you will find as you grow up, your research is much, your scope is much broader, which is both interesting and a little bit daunting because then you have to learn more than I had to. I keep thinking about what you said earlier about how when you were younger, you couldn't be an engineer because you were a girl. <laughs> so you either had to be a doctor or a physicist, apparently. Um, so was that just your family that said you couldn't be an engineer? Or was that a social? Um, no, it wasn't. My family, I, I am an only child. And the other thing which, is, which sometimes throws people, I went to an all-girls school. So I benefited in some ways. My parents didn't have a son to support more and ignore me. Also in class, because we didn't have boys, we did not have that problem of having to compete with them or, you know, sometimes at middle school level, there are issues that have been brought up where the male students are called upon in physics and math courses to respond more. Somehow there is some unconscious bias that this is their domain. Mm -hmm. And gradually with time, this kind of seeps into the, the female students that perhaps I let them take the lead here. We didn't have that. So that was a benefit. But no, the society generally, when I was growing up, it expected a girl, if she was going to be a professional, should be a doctor. If not, the reason why I was, to, you know, physics was okay for my parents was they thought I would be a teacher. That was their idea. They did not think as far as PhD, they were like, you can go be a teacher. And that that was roles or jobs that were feminine and would leave time for family, although in medicine they were off on that. I mean, I don't know what made them think a doctor has a lot of time. Um, 
So that was, yeah, there, there was that. Being an engineer, now I actually think about that I, engineering, I have a natural flair for it. Um, but that just, I never got the training for that. <laughs> Even in my school, I feel like very supported by my teachers, but in like my physics class, like our AP physics classes, mm -hmm. um, last year there was no girls. And this year it's me and one other girl. And that's just really crazy to see because I think, well, everything's changing and actually is more equal. But then I look at the enrollment and it's me and one other girl and a bunch mm -hmm. of boys. And because the girls, they don't even consider physics when I talk to like my friends about it. They, they're like, oh, well, I would never do that. Like They don't even think about it because it's just not, I guess, pushed upon them, which is interesting because I feel that our school is very supportive and like I don't even think about gender as much anymore but then I see it still that's exactly you've hit on you've hit the nail on the head that is what the data shows that the percent of percentage of women enrolling in AP physics classes has not gone up so you and your friend will be fine you will carry this through but it's like my friends and I said when we grow up you know there'll be 50 percent women in physics and we are still fighting the same battle um, it's I think part of it is also the failure of professional physicists, even like myself, there haven't been that many role models. We don't sell physics well enough. We don't highlight all the different professions, right, that physics can offer you. People think physics, I have to be a faculty. What else can I do with it? Um, it's, we need to do a better job, I think. I agree because physics isn't really considered like a core class or even a class that you should take. It's you go to biology or environmental science and then you just take your math classes and physics is something they're like, oh, well, we don't need that ever. Like that's a class. Colleges <laughs> won't look at that. You don't need that. Like physics you can't do anything with. So I should take like biology. But I think that's not really the case as like you've highlighted the physics has crossed over into like biology, chemistry, engineering, like aerospace, all this stuff. So it's very interesting. Yes, it has. And we need to highlight this to youngsters and tell them that physics is a, something you, that can help you go into these parts too. Do you have any advice for young women who are thinking about the science field and what kind of fields within science would be they could be successful in? Well, I think they could be successful in any field they want to if they want to pursue science. Um, my advice would be that, you know, it would sort of be twofold. One, of course, as you know already, this is, it isn't easy. Just academically, you have to work hard at science. It's um, so, you know, stay at it, work hard. The other thing is that, yes, we still have socioeconomic reasons why perhaps science is not the most supportive field. However, you know, if go ahead and, you know, look for, you don't have to fight this alone. Look for mentors. Mentoring can really help. Find someone who's very, who's supportive, who can play in your corner, who can tell you what to apply for. Uh, definitely go out and find support. It doesn't have to be local. Email some faculty saying, I'm so-and-so, you know, do you mind if we chat once a month? Just go out there because people like me, we want you to succeed. We want you to do really well and break this pattern that we have been unable to break. And we'd be glad to help. So don't think that you're fighting this alone. Always go ask for help. And don't think that your male colleagues, they might be a little daunted if you go up and talk to them because there's two of you and so many of them, but they, growing up with you, they are much more agreeable to helping you and assisting you than, you know, probably my generation was. So definitely think of, get allies, do this together. 
that would be my advice would would high school uh, uh, women like like Emma and Megan for example would they be able to just um, go online and find a woman professor at a college that they might be interested in and just write to that person and say this is who I am and I am interested in this would you would you mentor me you know through high school or in my college you know just by what you said once a month is that reasonable for yes, them to do absolutely just because it's the interesting thing is when you come to my level, you realize there is so much support for women, you, but not at the level where you need it, right? So <laughs> yeah. we, and I would say both NSF has a lot of resources. You can look up and see they have lists of mentoring available to high school students and undergraduates hmm. for women in particular. Also, um, APS, American Physical Society, has pages where you can just look up you can apply for funds for have, having a female professor come and give a talk. You can, but if you don't want to go through these routes of agencies, just go online, you know, look up any faculty website and say, she looks like her research is interesting. I'll just email her. So yes, absolutely. That, that's really freeing. That's great. Yes. <laughs> um, I personally am really shy and I don't like to talk to people like in person so I think it's really I think it's really good that you can just go online and email people and it's and it's not just mentor. you I it, mm -hmm. I think there are lots of there's a, the proportion of people in general in sciences who are not extroverts is higher than most fields I think that's what makes us stronger I'm an introvert too so yes emailing is much easier for us to get it out and they would like you to contact via email too so yeah go for it um, so I've recently heard from actually quite a few people, while a lot of people see these college professors as very daunting and they're very hesitant, and they think, oh, well, they'll just think I'm just like a random number in the system, but I've heard that actually reaching out is like, they respect that a lot, because they're not going to reach out to you, but if you reach out to them, they tend to be very actually um, like caring and actually very ambitious, and they want to help you. Do you find that to be true, in, at least in your college? I do, very much, yes. It it absolutely is the, one, the other part of the equation, which probably no one tells you openly, is that um, a lot of funding is allocated to encourage women and underrepresented groups to join physics or other fields where they are not represented well. So they are really not just doing it from the goodness of their heart, the people who are reaching out and helping you. They have an agenda. They are hoping to recruit you to perhaps work on their campus or join their college or work, do research with them over the summer. So this is, it's not like they're doing you a favor. This is a two-way street. So yes, they will reach out. That's, yeah. that's good to know. It is a two-way street. It is, yes. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the biggest grants we've got, the NASA grant, for example, it only allows funding or supporting students who are uh, domestic students. Mm -hmm. And they like to see the numbers of underrepresented groups grow. So there is, we have a responsibility to recruit these students. Yeah, it's a two-way street. Just a little bit broader, do you have any advice for um, me and Emma and other kids, like, going into college and more specifically like the STEM field? You mean applying for it or when you actually um, go in? Both applying for it and like 
going in like class wise is like do you take the basic classes or do you have to be ha- like have a specific route set out for you um let's if we start with the application process something which again it's become it's um we understand now sitting on the other side of admissions panels but when you put your application package together more and more everyone is looking for a very holistic package we want to have good students good citizens join the programs um so i know you focus a lot on your sats and your ap scores all of that is one pillar it's academics there is your extracurricular activities other things you've done there are recommendation letters so when you apply make sure your package is complete and don't worry too much if you feel that my gpa isn't that good what am i going to do that's just one thing once you have gpa sat the entire thing you know grades all of that goes in one so i found many students who worry a lot about that one aspect and forget to highlight all the amazing other things they've done if you've done any sort of charity work or outreach highlight those people like to know that their gopher experience right here for <laughs> yes. example <laughs> yes you must because these are out, you know different from others it'll make you stand out so always highlight that i've even noticed recently that some schools don't even ask for test scores anymore because they really are more interested in that aspect of what you've actually done with your life and like um like what you care about besides just schooling and i've noticed that even colorado schools they don't even require you to send in um standardized testing it's not just at the undergrad level it's happening at the graduate level too the graduate test called gre people are also starting to say this is one score taken one day yeah. this is not something that should make or break anything yeah i think that's this is a good trend that was a wonderful interview oops it was not so much science but it was certainly a lot about life and especially life as a woman so sayantani thank you so very much And Sayantani Agosh is an associate professor at the University of California Merced and she's been interviewed by Emma Day from Basalt High School and Megan Quinn from Glenwood Springs High School. Tune in to Radio Physics on the fourth Tuesday of every month at 4:30. For more information about our Gopher program and events at the center, please visit the Aspen Center for Physics website. at aspenphys.org or give me a call patty fox thank you <laughs>